Hello, thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Captain Roy's Rocket Radio Show, the UK podcast for the culture geek, technology nerd and creative wizard. This is episode 327, recorded on Wednesday the 12th of August 2020 at 11pm. Hello again. Let's start with the state of the rewatch. I awoke recently to the sound of something that sounded like a panel beaters convention happening downstairs, and when I rushed down, I found my mother wielding a rubber mallet, exactly the same type of rubber mallet as the one that David Tennant uses to, quote, adjust, unquote, the TARDIS's control panel. She was using it to hammer in a loose corner joint of her sofa. This was admittedly, though, less awful than my father's recent attempt to fix the plumbing. And if you want to hear more about that, refer back to an earlier episode. That ended in a flood. And let's not mention the blinds. I have to say at this point, men, let's admit that some of us were never destined to be maestros of DIY. It doesn't make you any less manly not being able to do this stuff. Anyway, where were we? Oh yeah, my mother. What has this got to do with the rewatch? Well, it has something vaguely to do with the rewatch. Yes, my mother eventually, after a lot of whacking the sofa with a rubber mallet, (laughs) successfully beat the sofa into submission. When she did that, though, and this is typical of the things that happen in our home, a spider scurried out from between what one would assume to be the perfect arachnid habitat, hideout, place to lurk, and that is one of the many boxes containing my parents' household belongings since their move back to England, which are piled high everywhere. The spider. Yes, it made straight for my bare feet, which were only protected by sandals. And it was only with the big spider, which I swear, perhaps slightly inaccurately, perhaps with some slight exaggeration, was half the size of my hand. Only when that monstrous arachnid was safely evacuated to the garden in a humane jar that I use for transporting recalcitrant insectoid and spider life. Only when all those things were done did I begin the process of preparing this pod, and by that I mean starting to write the notes. And by recently, I mean a week or so, maybe slightly more ago. It has taken me a long time to watch through this adventure, the Ark in Space from 1974. Oh, and one last thing that I didn't mention before is the microwave also blew up. These facts may seem strangely irrelevant, but are, in fact, highly relevant, as you will come to see in the first What Happens item. And back to the rewatch in general, we're getting to the point when I remember watching these serials the first time around. This means it is truly to start to feel like a rewatch. 
In fact, I remember already having rewatched this serial a few years ago on repeat. I think it was on the UK's Horror Channel, perhaps? And not that much time after I watched the very first broadcast back in 1975, I remember owning a hardback copy of the novelization. I think I had that novelization bought for me by my parents through my school's discount book buying scheme to encourage literacy in children. Unlikely as that seems that they would have sci-fi horror, but I can't really see where else I would have bought that book from so long ago. I certainly wasn't at the age where I would be perusing used bookshops by myself. The only other Doctor Who TV novelisation I owned was another hardback of The Mask of Mandragora. Both were in great condition, and both have sadly departed in my move from Canada. Ah. Okay, as always, let's start off with some cast and production notes. We are, very obviously, with the third Doctor, Tom Baker. His companions are Elizabeth Slarden, playing Sarah Jane Smith. Yes, I'm going to continue saying Sarah, not Sarah. And Ian Martyr, playing Harry Sullivan. He has now become a regular companion. The Ark in Space was directed by Rodney Bennett. The writer was Robert Holmes. And the producer, Philip Hinchcliffe. More on him as a producer slash proto-showrunner later. This was serial 2 of season 12 and follows on from Robot, which we covered in Podisode 324. It consists of four 25-minute episodes and was first broadcast from the 25th of January 1975 to the 15th of February 1975. Okay, with that bit (laughs) over and done with, let's move on to On This Day in the UK. And sadly, and unsurprisingly, because this happens quite a lot, bugger all happened on that day in the UK and further afield, except that a film called Chinatown, a really well-known and famous film called Chinatown from 1974, starring Jack Nicholson and directed by Roman Polanski, scooped up a lot of Golden Globe awards. It's a great neo-noir film, and you should see it. And now back to Doctor Who. First a tiny little clip, and then we'll talk about what happens. You are in great danger. Get our your people to the earth before No. Before the wearer Fire. Take command. Now hear me. You take command. What has happened? Commander, are you there? We're in, are here. They will. We should absorb the humans. The Earth shall be ours. Noah, 
Okay, the Doctor, Sarah, and Harry stumble out of the TARDIS. The Doctor immediately berates Harry for fiddling with the TARDIS's helmet control, which sent them careering who knows where. Now do you see what I mean? Clumsy bloke! And who knows where turns out to be an ark holding the remnants of Earth's humanity cast into the depths of space to sleep through a solar flare or some kind of catastrophic event that the sun is undergoing. This is ridiculous. I just finished watching it today and I can already not remember what caused the temporary barbecuing of the Earth. But let's just say it was a solar thingy, which renders the surface of the Earth uninhabitable for a time. The Wirren, a parasitic alien insectoid species, have infiltrated the Ark and are munching through the wiring, greatly extending the Ark's time in space, and have also infected Noah, the leader of the crew. The Wirren are there because they wish to end humankind and take over the healed earth in vengeance for a previous genocidal human expedition that destroyed their home world. With Noah transforming, his partner, a medical technician, Vera, takes over. With the help of a couple of revived crew, the Doctor and his companions manage to power up the Ark using an energy cable carried through a tiny duct by Sara and plugged into the escape shuttle's engines. At the last moment, an engineer baits the Wirren into the ship, whereupon it blasts off away from the space station and is then blown up by insectoid Noah, whose conversion is now complete, but who still retains a last vestige of his humanity. The Doctor and his companions use the space station's matter transporter to send themselves to the Earth, where they're planning to just check out that everything's okay for the evacuees to return. And then it ends with the camera closing in on Vera's previously quite cold face, which is now forming into a smile. No ads this week, you'll be relieved to hear. I'm working on a new one for my novel and for other stuff. So instead, let's get straight on to what I thought. I said I'd talk about Philip Hinchcliffe some more at the top of the show, so let's do that now. Philip Hinchcliffe taking over as producer from Barry Letts marked a new era of a grown-up Doctor Who, with the horror quotient ramped up. I remember it making Doctor Who a lot scarier, and angering Mary Whitehouse, do you remember her? 
Though by 1977, I would come to look back on that Hinchcliffe era and appreciate the increase in drama and sense of peril it brought to the show. And it was also one of the most popular runs of the show. But why 1977? Well, 1977 was the end of Hinchcliffe working on Doctor Who, so it was now safe to come out from behind the sofa. I know that sounds like a cliché, but I would literally hide behind the sofa if I saw something too scary on Doctor Who. Because as you no doubt remember, as a child you'd sit on the floor and you could scurry behind the sofa to hide if you saw something that was just a bit too scary. Like, for example, The Brain of Morbius in 1976. That was another frightening story. Jaws also came out in 1975, and that was the last film to really frighten me. My mum had to check for sharks under the bed, which makes no sense. (laughs) What else can you say about that? In short, though, thanks to Hinchcliffe and Spielberg by 1977, it felt as though I'd survived horror boot camp. Which has some pluses and some minuses. And the big minus was that for the sake of enjoying the full visceral fear of Alien from 1979, I wish my soul had hardened just a few years later. I'm not sure why Hinchcliffe changed the tone of the show, because he mainly worked on kid-friendly material before. One suspects ratings was an issue. Actually, one needn't suspect at all because ratings on Doctor Who were an issue. And perhaps he also simply had a different creative vision. Whatever the case, though, the Hinchcliffe era of Doctor Who was certainly one of the most memorable and most fondly remembered. Back to this particular serial. How did the Hinchcliffe era manifest itself in this story? Well, there is the slow movement of the space station in the bleakness of space. There's the suspenseful music. There's the cold execution of recorded dialogue in the cryotube. All these things increase our dread. Then there's the key iconic moment of the story with the reveal of Noah's novelly metamorphosizing hand. In retrospect, the green bubble wrap makeup around his hand is laughable, but actor Kenton Moore really sells the scene and makes us believe something terrible is happening. It Scared the pants off me when I first saw it. Enough of the tone, and let's move on to Harry Sullivan. Harry is now a full-time companion of the Doctor. When I first saw this serial back in 1975, I quite liked him because I was a boy and Harry was easy to relate to because he was brave and reliable. Today, on the rewatch, however... While he's not totally objectionable, I find him dull and, less forgivably, annoyingly chauvinistic. 
In any case, the view I hold nowadays is that one companion is enough because it lessens the dilution and we get more time getting to know them and getting to know the Doctor. I, and I've said this before, more closely identify with Sarah Jane Smith because she is a reporter. The Wirren. The insectoid aliens are called the Wirren. That's W I. R-R-N. It is a name I had to look up because it's an odd name, and I couldn't hear what the cast were saying. Finally, we mention Ridley Scott's Alien from 1979, and it seems very like that film took a lot from the plot and design of the Ark in Space. There are the sleep chambers, which look like human-shaped jelly moulds. There's the basic plot of being stalked by deadly parasitic aliens. There's Sarah's claustrophobic crawl through the ducting. There's the use of the escape ship. I could go on and on and on, but that would be annoying. And in any case, Doctor Who, the show steals from all over the place. I mean, those Wirren, they are basically the sentient Martian Locus from Quatermass and the Pit, both the 1959 TV series and the 1967 Hammer Films remake, which I think is great, and is another film that I recommend that you see. Let's now move on to some trivia. The actor who plays Harry Sullivan is Ian Martyr. Ian Martyr, outside of Doctor Who, where he played Harry Sullivan, was a prolific author of Doctor Who novelizations, including the novelization for The Ark in Space. He also originally auditioned for the role of Captain Yates and played that utter tosspot of a British officer in Carnival of Monsters from 1973, which we covered in Podisode 287. Why have I now started calling them Podisodes? Have I heard that somewhere else? I don't know. Anyway, Ian Martyr, yes. The unfortunate thing is his life, that was very creative, was cut very short from complications brought on from diabetes, and he died on his 42nd birthday. The voices of Orac and other Blake Seven's computers were played by Peter Tuddenham. Peter Tuddenham also does some voice acting in this serial, and The Mask of Mandragora, which we mentioned before in 1976. Making a rather rare change, for once I watched the special edition extras. I tend not to watch them because I'm both impatient and also don't want what other people think to colour my own views when I do these episodes, but I did this time round. They looked interesting and it was a bit hot and I just did it on a whim. In those extras, there's an interview with designer Roger Murray-Leach, 
in which he recollects the shoestring budgets, a set dressing that included covering an anachronistic Porsche car with manure to hide it, and his friendship with Tom Baker after he was sent to keep an eye on the actor in hospital when he broke his collarbone on Dartmoor filming the Sontaran experiment. There's another interview on those special features, and that's with Tom Baker, a very positive and glowing Tom Baker at the start of his career, He is charming and erudite, and even offers the interviewer a jelly baby. Oh, that is the way it always starts, but not always finishes. And that is it. We've come to the end. Oh, it's a bit hard to wind down right now. Quite excited to have done another episode after such a gap. Well, we'll talk about... Another of the reasons for the gaps between shows, and they're fairly obvious, in the next episode of Crash. The geek episode of Crash, not the Doctor Who episode of Crash. Though one of those will also follow shortly, and the next Doctor Who episode of Crash will feature the Sontaran experiment. Yes, you have that to look forward to. Tomorrow, I'm planning to do the next non-Who episode of Crash, and that will be just our geekly roundup of stuff. I say just, but it's a pretty full show, so be sure to subscribe. And that's it. The show that you're listening to is produced, presented, and edited by me, Roy Martha, a writer. That's me, Roy Martha. I'm Roy. Martha is spelt... Although, you should know by now, M-A-T-H-U-R, you can find more about me or get in touch at RoyMartha.com. If you want to help, please review and rate the show on whatever platform you listen, though ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts are particularly useful. And as ever, I implore you to recommend this podcast to a friend. You were listening to Captain Roy's Rocket Radio Show, acronominized, yes it's not a word, to Crash, the UK podcast for the culture geek, technology nerd, and creative wizard. This was episode number 327, recorded on Wednesday the 12th of August 2020, and the time at the end of the show is 23.38.33. Thanks for listening, and bye bye for now. Bye!